Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. check this out, whether here or online at our website. Um, They're both available there. There's also guest check-in cards, both in the pew in front of you and online. We'd love to have you do that so we can get to know you a little bit better, especially if you're newer to our community. And um, that would be an awesome thing for us to be able to do. So um, one other thing that I just wanted to uh, highlight in the bulletin, and that is um, today following the service, we want to... uh, invite you to join us down in the gym for some food to say goodbye to Diana Overcamp and her family. Diana has been a part of our church staff here for the last six and a half-ish years, and recently her husband took a job out of state, and so she's going to be moving uh, down to the Kentucky, Tennessee area. Uh, Those of you from down there are going like God's country, perhaps, I don't know. But we are going to miss uh, Diana, we're going to miss her family greatly. They have been so instrumental in so many lives here. Uh, especially young families' lives as they seek to raise their kids. And she's been an incredible um, partner with in ministry. So I uh, invite you to that down towards the gym after we're done today. And, and may, maybe you know her, maybe you don't. Um, consider writing her a, a note and just saying, hey, thank you so much for your service. God bless you as you move. Write an encouragement note to her this week. That'd be awesome. So um, Luke chapter 5 is where we find ourselves today. And we're, we're, we've been looking at people and their encounters with Jesus. And so we looked at this woman at the well several weeks ago. Then we looked at uh, a Pharisee named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night and has an encounter with Jesus. Last week, we looked at a parable that Jesus gives to a bunch of Pharisees who say, how is it that you eat with sinners? Because they were pretty mad about that. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story about a compassionate father and two of his lost sons. One goes away, squanders everything, and he's, he's lost and he comes back and everyone rejoices, but the other son never leaves, but is still just as lost as the other one is while he's gone. Today we're going to look at a character that you guys may know well. His name is Shimon. Can you say Shimon? Shimon. Okay, that's Hebrew. Uh, You might know him as Simon. Uh, Simon Peter, you may know him as, because at one point in time, Jesus actually changes his name. We're not going to look at that story today, but we're going to look at it towards the beginning of his life in Luke chapter 5. Uh, Luke chapter 5. And as we're doing that, let me, just ha- let me just ask you this. Have you ever had a genuine encounter with Jesus? H- have you ever had a genuine encounter with Jesus? And you might be like, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Um, A genuine encounter is something that transforms your life. Now, sometimes we look at very important moments in our spiritual past. You know, maybe the the moment in which we we heard the gospel and understood it, and we yielded our life to God, and and we came into relationship by faith. That's a genuine encounter with Jesus, but it's not the only one. There's multiple times, I believe, in our life where God meets us where we are, and he calls us into something deeper. And I think God wants to do that. In fact, I don't think. I know God wants to do that for your life and for my life today. Because he wants our lives as disciples or followers of Jesus to look different today as a result of who he is and what he has done than they did yesterday. Have you had a genuine encounter with Jesus? One that transforms your life and your direction. 
Some of you could probably point back to some important, you know, kind of uh, hallmark moments in your life. I, I, I sure can. We, we could be here, you know, for hours telling stories about all the ways in which I tried to say, no, God, I don't want to do that. No, God, I don't want to do that. And God began to continually change my heart, change my heart, reveal himself to me. And over time, you know, we're in a different place because of it. And we bless the Lord for that. Having a genuine encounter with Jesus begins with this, though. It begins by meeting with him regularly and, and living at the table. You know, if you've been with us for a few weeks and we studied the woman at the well, you know that phrase. But, but we believe that the table, meeting with God, hearing his voice through his word and by his spirit, is the center for life transformation. And yet there's a lot of places we go to in order to transform our life. Peter is going to be faced with this question this morning. Will I allow Jesus and his word to transform me, or will I continue going on my own personal way? That's convicting for me. Um, we could summarize it this way. For, for Peter, following Jesus means to trust him with all things, especially the things that he knows best. Jesus doesn't expect Peter to have all the right answers in his life, but he calls him to radical trust in God's word, his will, and in his way. And with that said, if you're in Luke 5, I invite you to read this with me. I know you've been standing for a little while, but if you're able to, I invite you to stand for the reading of the scripture this morning. Luke chapter 5. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats on the edge of the lake. The, the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Shimon, Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you're going to be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Lord, allow the words of the text to speak. Holy Spirit, lead and guide us into all truth for the glory of the risen Messiah, Jesus. We pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, Simon Peter has an encounter with Jesus. Now, I don't believe this is actually his first encounter with Jesus. We find in the Gospels a couple of initial encounters. One Simon and Simon is by the, the water, 
And Jesus walks by and he says, follow me. And Simon was there and he was casting his net out into um, the, the lake. Gennesaret is um, the, the Sea of Galilee, you might call it here. Um, it's, it's the largest freshwater lake in, 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 not in Egypt, in Israel. And uh, it is a place where a lot of people would gather to provide fish for their sustenance and their food. And it's on this lake, the first time I think, um, Peter is casting his net, and Jesus says to him, follow me. And it says he left his nets, and he followed him. In Luke chapter 4, we didn't read it, but if you back up a couple verses, we also see Simon here in verse 38. Um, Jesus leaves the synagogue. He enters Simon's house, and Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her, this is Jesus, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. So, so I don't think Peter is just encountering Jesus for the first time in Luke chapter 5. I think he knows about him. I think maybe they've even looked at each other. Maybe they've even had some degree of a conversation. But it's in this story that is um, just foundational to Peter's calling. It's not the only one that's foundational. You, you can go to John in the latter part of that gospel Find another story that happens at the end of, of Jesus' life, after he's been raised from the dead. And Jesus and Peter have another foundational calling story. But this one's really important because in this story, we find that Peter finds something out about Jesus that he had not recognized before. This is not just a mere man. This is majesty. He's met me here. He's done something incredibly beyond my wildest dreams. And I love how Jesus personalizes this. At the end of the passage, he says, um, from now on, you're going to be catching people. He, he uses language that Peter knows because Peter's a fisherman. And he says, hey, yeah, you used to catch fish. Guess what you're going to catch now? People. And he calls him into this. And it's not the first time that, that God has done that. I mean, Moses was a shepherd. He, he called, God calls Moses to shepherd his people, Israel. David, as a musician, God uses that powerfully in his life. He's also a warrior. God uses that powerfully in his life to become a king. David's also a shepherd. And so he has that ability to also lead people. Um, many times God uses things that are familiar to us in order to engage us where we are at and call us into something deeper. For, for me, that was music. Years and years and years ago, I had written off in my mind, I will never do ministry. I will never do this. I will never do this. Because I just didn't want to. I, I, I saw some of the heartache and the trouble and, and struggle of it uh, through family members involved in these things. And God began to redirect my path through the avenue of music. For me, it was music. And then it was something else. For you, it may be something different. For Peter, it's fishing. Now, Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee. The text says that the crowd is pressing in on him because he's teaching God's word. And he's standing there, and he sees two boats at the edge of the lake. And the fishermen had left them, which is an important clue, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And they're washing their nets. And so Jesus comes up to one of these two boats at a place that looks uh, something like this. This is in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is taken from a place called Mount Arbel, which is a, a super fun place to hike up to. And the incredible... Um, 
view is just amazing. This overlooks a part of the galley that is rich with agriculture. It's rich with fishing along the ports here. Um, You can see some of these port cities. Some of the names you might know, Magdala, where Mary Magdalene is from, Mount of Beatitudes, Capernaum, Bethsaida, over in the Golan Heights. You you hear Golan Heights in in the news sometimes these days. That's where it's at. It's on the northern part of the Galilee. And Jesus is teaching probably somewhere around this place called the Heptagon. All right? Heptagon. That's a hard one to say. The Heptagon. And one of the reasons scholars think that this is where it is, is this is a great place to fish. It's where, it's where water is warmer and it ha- provides an opportunity for um, fishing to be really advantageous. Jesus gets in the boat and he, he uh, it says that the boat belonged to Simon. And Jesus asks him to put out a little bit from land. Then Jesus sits down, and that's just a way that teachers would teach back in that time. And he was teaching the crowds from the boat. So here you have the picture. There, in the northern part of the Galilee, a little bit off of the shoreline, because that way Jesus had a little bit more space. You go here, and the acoustics are really good. You can actually speak in certain places, and it just carries really, really well. It reflects off of the water and all these things. So Jesus often would do this. He'd teach us from a boat. You've got all these people on land, and Peter is there, because this boat's 20 to 30 feet long, and Peter's there with the oars, just kind of making sure that the boat doesn't tip, that Jesus is good, and he's kind of keeping him in position while Jesus is teaching and teaching and teaching. Now, while Peter is doing that, he's also not working, right? And we have several um, instances of fishing from the ancient period. One of the, one of the big ways that we fish today, in fact, Many of you might go and you, you, you take a, a, a rod and a reel, you put a line on it, and you cast out, whether you're fly fishing or whether you're, um, you're fishing with one of those bobbers. You, you, that's kind of like the, the, the normal method. But there's several different kinds of fishing for this area. You have the casting of nets that would happen from the shoreline. So a fisherman could go on the shoreline, wade through the water, see some fish, cast a net, and pull it up. You also have a dragnet. That's another way that you could fish. Then you also have a trammel net. Now, a trammel net is what is in view here. Peter is a fisherman, and he's fishing with trammel nets. And the reason we know this is because he's been fishing all night long. And trammel net fishing was done at night. A trammel net was made of three-layer net. It had a... um, two exterior walls that have a large, a large mesh. And in the middle layer, there's a much smaller mesh, about an inch or an inch and a half. These would be about 100 feet long when you strung them together. And you put them in, and then um, people, a fisherman on one side of it, would scare the fish so that they'd go towards the net, and then they'd get caught in the net, and they'd pull the net in. This was done at night because these nets weren't made of nylon or any fancy sort of technology like that that we have today. But they were done at night because the fish wouldn't be able to see the net as well. And also um, because the conditions were much better for that with the heat and with the, the depth of the water and where the fish would be at various points in the day. So Peter has been fishing all night. He, he stayed up all night, not to sleep, but not to because he couldn't like go to sleep, but because he's been working. He, he is on the, on the shore of the Galilee. He's washing his nets, which is a really important thing because if you didn't wash your nets, you didn't take care of your nets, they would eventually break down. And if they broke down, you didn't just lose a hobby, you lost a business. 
he, he's trying to take care of his stuff. And, and these type of nets have to fully dry because if they don't, before you go back out and you start fishing again, it can start to break down the fibers even more. So Peter and these first disciples are, are, are here and he's been called out and he said, okay, and he's manning the oars and he's listening to Jesus teach. He's listening to Jesus teach. And it's important to know back in this time, um, to be a disciple or to be a follower, a follower of someone means that you don't just want to know what they know. You want to be like them. You want to learn how does this teacher, how does this rabbi apply God's word to how he interacts with his family? How does this rabbi apply this word to how he interacts with his profession? Because many rabbis also had professions on the side. I mean, Jesus is a, is a tecton or a carpenter. He works with wood and stone. That was part of the trade that he learned growing up. Peter, as part of you know, this kind of testing the boundaries of discipleship, he doesn't want to just have the right beliefs. He wants to actually, Jesus, how do you walk this out? And when Jesus calls people to follow him, he doesn't say, come follow me and stay at a distance. In fact, these 12 men who are the core of his discipleship um, community that he calls, and he calls, a couple, he calls Peter here, and he calls some of the other ones in the early parts of the Gospels. He calls them into life. He, he calls them into walking with him. You might think of it this way. Uh, it's, it's one thing to want to be like your dad and to watch him. Be like, oh, that's how he does that. And that's how he does that. But the best way to become like your dad is to be with your dad. You know, I, I, could, I could look at various things and say, oh, I know this about that person because I saw them speak. Right? I know this about that person because I saw them play a sport. But to really know a person, it means you walk with them. It, it was really neat. We were singing this morning and uh, getting ready for, for our morning gathering. And one of our media team members walks in and he's got one of his kids with him. And I love it because they're coming up, they're adjusting some lighting. And I'm going, man, he is walking out this principle. It's not just like, here's what you do to turn on the light. It's that they're doing it together. It's not just to be like someone. It's to be with someone so that you become like someone. Does that make sense? This is the call of discipleship. The call of discipleship is... I want to learn how to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. How do I do that? By being with God. By being with God. By, by, by hearing his voice. By, by knowing what, what drives him. What compels him to do certain things. Not that I can ever fully figure out God. Not that any of us can. But it's this level of trust. And that's what Peter's experiencing with this. In, in this encounter with Jesus... Jesus finishes teaching, and he says to Peter, he says, put out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Now, if you're a fisherman and you've just had an awful night of fishing and you've caught nothing, you might be tempted to say, yeah, they just weren't biting tonight, you know, or well, we just went to the wrong place or mm, that net just wasn't working properly. Whatever it was, Peter had experienced in not too recent memory that the fish were not biting. Peter's a pro, all right? Jesus is a carpenter by trade and a rabbi as well. Peter's a pro fisherman. And, and Peter's got to be going, put out my nets for a deep catch? Like, Jesus, what are you thinking? 
it's not just, okay, I'll just cast my net. It's all the work of getting your nets together, making sure they're on the boat, getting your fishing partner so that it can all go out. Because this is like hard, laborious work. Not only that, everyone is looking at it and everyone knows you don't fish with a trammel net during the day right? Because of the net size. Here's, here's a photo of some fishermen cleaning their nets. They, they're gathered on the side of this, and they're, they're, they're mending things. And Peter is going, Jesus, I, I think in his mind, he's like working this through. He's going, I mean, he says, Master, we fished all night and we caught nothing, right? He knows, he knows the feeling of going out. And this isn't just um, we caught nothing. It was a great day of fishing on the water. I mean, that's a sport fisherman kind of response. This is a, this is a guy whose life, livelihood is maintained by catching fish. Every time you go out, it's like going to work. And if you come back with nothing, guess what? You just stayed up all night for no reason. Uh, I could have I had a good night's sleep at least if I, if I had just stayed home because clearly I went fishing and I caught nothing. Peter's here. And Jesus says, I want you to put out your nets. I want you to go out into deep water for a catch. So not only is Jesus saying, go try one more time. He's saying, go try because you're going to (laughs) catch. Now, I I try never to like um, uh, promise something that I can't fulfill. The the first time one of my kids went fishing, I think it was was Ephraim. uh, We went to my in-law's house and and they have this uh, pond back on their property. And this was like a fisherman's dream because you cast the net in, boom, fish. You're reeling back in. You cast the net back out, boom, fish. We must have caught 20, how many, 30? 35 fish in one time. That's like a fisherman's dream. Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to go out. And by the way, you are going to catch fish. Peter's tired, but he's been listening to the words of God. And he, and he says, or listening to the words of Jesus, who is God. Um, and he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. That's trust, right? That's trust, or that's guts, or that's chutzpah, right? It, it, it took a lot for Peter, I think, to say, you know, I don't care that the people on the shore, because there's still a crowd there, are going to go, why are you fishing in the middle of the day? Everyone knows you don't catch anything in the middle of the day with a trammel net. He's looking at his nets going, man, I hope these are dry, because if they're not, I could cause some damage to my actual things that I use to fish, He's being tested. He is being tried. He's being called to trust. Jesus is guaranteeing a catch. Peter, the expert fisherman, says, Jesus, at your word, at your word, I will let down the nets. The the, the point is this. Peter has to choose. Will I trust my own wisdom, experience, and knowledge? Or will I take Jesus at his word and trust him with the result? Maybe easy to say with fishing, but there's a lot of things in our lives where, where God calls us to do something. And we're like, but Jesus, if I do that, won't this happen? What if that happens? And we start to ask all these questions that doubt God's word and God's authority. 
But Peter is facing the same question that many of us face. Am I going to trust my own wisdom, experience, and knowledge? And for Peter, even risk the humiliation of coming up with nothing and being the joke of fishing jokes in the Galilee region for the next year, maybe even damaging my equipment. Or will I take Jesus at his word and trust him with the result? Especially when Peter's the fisherman and Jesus is not. It's one of the hardest things for us to do. To trust God in the things that we have the most experience in. It may be easy to, or easier to pray with things that you're like, I don't know what to do with this. We better pray. I know at least for me, it's a whole lot harder to say, you know what? I think I know what to do here. Let's pray. You know, it's like, no, I th- in, in my own arrogance, many times I say, I know what to do here. Let's go. Here's what we do. This, 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 and this. And sometimes I do that without consulting God. And I come back later and I say, God, would you bless it? I don't know if you've ever done that. Maybe it's just me. We have a lot of competencies in this room, though. We've got people skilled in management and organization and leadership and technical skills and parenting and in ministry. It's easier to trust God sometimes with things that we're not as capable. But the question is this, will I trust God's word? Will I trust his way? And will I be all in? I call this the hinge of trust for Peter. P- Peter's at this hinge. Which way is it going to go? Peter says, Master, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Verse 6 says this. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. It was not uncommon for them to, to fish in, in pairs or in multiple boats. It made the work a little bit easier. They came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So the catch that Jesus said, hey, you're going to have a catch, uh, is one that is overflowing. It's one that is greatly abundant. And it's one that Peter did not do himself. <laughs> it, it was done through the miraculous power of God working in this situation as God reveals himself to Peter. But it took Peter to say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense. But at your word, I will do it. And I love what it says in verse 6. It says, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish. This literally like struck me last night. I'm getting ready for today. And um, you know, you read something, you read something, you read something, you come back and you're like, why have I never seen it that way before? They. Who is they? Well, it's Peter. I think it's his helper in there um, as well. He, he usually fish with someone else. But where is Jesus at this time? Jesus got in the boat back in verse 2, 3. Sorry, he got back into the boat on verse 3. I think out there on the water, you've got Peter, you've got probably his fishing partner, and you've got Jesus. Peter is right here. Jesus is fishing with Peter. And they have this incredible catch that was going to go down in folklore of the northern Galilee region as what an amazing catch of fish this was. But notice Simon Peter's response in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, all right, he saw the, the, the fish come in. He saw the other boat come. And they have so much here that their boats began to sink. He doesn't say, our boats are beginning to sink. Let's paddle harder. He doesn't say, throw over some fish. 
It says that he fell at Jesus' knees. So you imagine, you're in a 20 to 30 foot boat. You've got Jesus here. You've got Peter here. You probably have another helper here. All this commotion's going on. You've got fish galore everywhere, which must have smelled wonderful. And what Peter is concerned about is this. He fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Reminds me of the we're singing this morning and we're singing the song majesty 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 your grace has found me just as i am empty-handed but alive in your hands this is peter's story right he comes into this boat and he is literally empty-handed he's going against all the preconceived notions of fishing he's got no fish in the boat all he has is his net his his fishing partner the boat and jesus in his word and empty-handed he becomes alive with fish all over him, flopping and flailing. And he's focused on one thing. Lord, I am a sinful man. It's what happens when you sing a song like Majesty. Majesty, majesty, your grace has found me just as I am. When God comes to each one of us, and he reveals himself. He does not cease to be God, high, holy, lifted up. And yet he reveals himself with love and intention because he wants us to hear his voice and step into the story with him. When Peter goes out and he lets down his nets, Jesus is right there with him. Jesus is not distant. Jesus is not far away. He has not only promised something to Peter, he has given himself to be there in that story, in that midst, in that experience. Not so that Peter could just have a lot of fish, but so that Peter could see how amazing and holy and set apart Jesus is. Peter responds, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of the fish they took. So were James and John, Zebedee's sons. By the way, they become disciples of Jesus as well, who were Simon's partners. I'd love to hear their account. Um, and notice what Jesus says to Simon. He says, don't be afraid. When you're, when you're faced with a glimpse of a holy God... It's very natural, in fact, very appropriate to have a degree of fear. Uh, when, when Isaiah is confronted in Isaiah chapter 6, he, he's a prophet. He sees a revelation of the Lord. He says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live, I live amidst a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the glory of God. And and. God steps into his story and he says, Isaiah, I want you to go do this. And Isaiah says, yes, I'll go do that. And the thing that God calls Isaiah to do is not easy. In fact, it's, it's preaching, repent, return to the people of Israel for literally most of Isaiah's life. Jesus comes to, to Simon here and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Not only that, he says, from now on, you're going to be catching people. Here, here's where I think Matthew's gospel comes in handy. In Matthew chapter 4, I believe it's chapter 4, um, when, when Peter's casting his nets from the side of the shore, and Jesus says, come follow me, it says that they left their nets and fo followed him. Here it says, 
They brought their boats to land. They left everything. And they followed him. They left everything. They left everything. They said, you know, we can pursue this great profession of fishing. And fishing is a good profession. In fact, at this time, it was probably one of the better ways that the average person could make money. Uh, it was much better than peasant farming. They, they, they left everything. They left the family business, as it were. And they said, Jesus, wherever you call, we'll go. We'll go. Now, if, if Jesus had called them to stay and to fish and to serve him there, I think Peter would have done that too. You know, he, he tells a demoniac who Jesus heals on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he tells him, hey, I want you to go back and I want you to tell your people how I've changed your life. You know, so not, not everyone goes and spatially follows Jesus. But here, Jesus is saying, I want you to fish for people because Jesus has a story for Peter to be a part of. And what he needed Peter to see is a revelation of himself and a revelation of what God can accomplish with someone who says, God, I need you. Dr. Daryl Bach puts it this way. He says, Simon Peter represents all disciples. His humanity and awareness of his sin do not disqualify him from service. They are the prerequisite for service. For Peter to come to the end of himself, what Dr. Bach is saying, is what is actually needed for him to serve with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. His humanity and awareness of his sin do not disqualify him from service. They are the prerequisite for service. Dr. Bach continues and he says this, A genuine meeting, meeting with Jesus alters one's perspectives. An encounter with God's power, he says, is no reason to draw back from him but an opportunity to approach him on the right basis in faith and dependence. I love how he says it. In catching fish, Jesus caught Simon Peter. He stepped into something he knew so well, and he said, Peter, will you trust me here? Will you walk with me according to my word? Here, Peter jumps in. Right? There's a couple other instances where Peter jumps in. There's a couple other instances where Peter fails miserably. If you want to read about it, go to the end of John's Gospel and find out how after disowning Jesus, Jesus comes back to Peter and he says, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And then Peter's like, But what about this other disciple? And um, Jesus says, Don't worry about him. You have a call on your life. You follow me. After years, literally at this point, of following Jesus day by day by day, Peter needs this reminder. Peter, you can't go on your own. You've got to go with me. In fact, John's gospel promises believers that when, they, when you're in relationship with Jesus, you're given the Holy Spirit so that God actually walks with us. God walks with us. Have you had a genuine meeting with God lately? I believe that much of the powerless living in the lives of Christians stems from three realities. Number one, the reality that we don't meet regularly with God. Right? The reality that, that we, we get distracted by a whole host of other things that are not God. And then we say, God, where are you? God has been there the whole time. Right? 
much of the powerless living, I think, also stems from this reality that we don't take God at his word. When we encounter the scripture, we encounter the prompting of God's spirit in our life, we don't say, yep, here we go. We say, "Mm, but if I do that, here's what's going to happen. Or that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And we begin to doubt God's word. And we begin to doubt God's word. We actually don't just doubt his word. We doubt him, (laughs) right? And and that may not change our eternal relationship with him. But but having power, power power-filled living with the spirit is about saying, all right, Jesus, you're calling me to this. I sense this. I believe this. This is consistent with your word. Here we go. Much of the powers living in the lives of Christians, I believe, stems from the reality that we don't meet regularly with God, that we don't take him at his word. And number three, we often tend to try to work for God instead of working with God. Do you know the difference? Working for God looks like this. See, Jesus, here's what I did for you. See, I did this, 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 this. I tithed my mint, my cumin, my dill, i.e. Pharisee from a couple weeks ago. I, no, notice how I showed up for church every single time this month, right? No, notice how I spent 27 hours a day in my Bible. It is possible to do religious things with a hardened heart towards God because we think we're doing it for God instead of doing it with God. And I find this so fascinating. Jesus, I believe, is with him in the boat. I think one of the things Jesus is teaching him is it's not that you're going to perform and go catch something and bring it to me. And I say, good job, Peter, you caught fish. It's that Jesus is saying, we did this, didn't we? It reminds me of Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4. I'll read you the whole section. Um, Philippians chapter 4. It's a phrase that you know well, quite likely. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Sorry, sometimes you have to sing the song to find it, you know, in your head. Hopefully in your head, maybe. Um, In Philippians 4, it says this in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and once again, you have renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know both how to have a little and also how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. By the way, he's writing this from prison. This is one of the prison letters. He's writing this in prison, and he's saying, hey, I know how to be content. I I, I know how to be well-cared for in all things. And then he says this. He says, I'm able to do all things through him who gives me strength. We sometimes put that... um, that, that, um, that scripture when we're facing hard times. I, I love it because it reminds me, it reminds us, we're not here to work for God, we're here to work with God. Because the only way that we can accomplish God's desires for our lives is to walk with him. I can do all things, all things, through Christ who gives me strength. God's call upon your life begins by recognizing who he is and saying, here I am. Leaving the nets, leaving everything to say, God, what do you have for me? God, how would you have me live? 
God has given his followers a mission to make disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you have this mission. It's been given by Jesus. It's given in the end of Matthew's gospel. Therefore, go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But notice what comes after that is Jesus says to his disciples, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. When Jesus sends his people on mission, he never sends them alone. Never sends them alone. He always goes with them. And here's the thing, is that it, many times God will use our life experiences and our abilities in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to advance his kingdom. He will. For one of you, it may look like you're discipling people who are retired military veterans. I've got a friend in church who does that, who engages them with the word of God praise for people who, who've experienced really, really challenging things like anxiety and PTSD and all this kind of stuff, God has uniquely wired him and called him for that task. For others of you, you're engaged in middle school ministry and, and you're loving kids right where they're at. You're encouraging them as they face really challenging conversations with their, with their friends at school. Some of you, God is called into parenting and you've got kids or maybe you've got you know, you know, kids who you've taken under your wing. They may not be your actual biological children, but you've been able to speak God's truth and God's grace into their life. And he says, I want you to go here. And I want you to tell them about me and I want you to make a disciple over here. Some of you have been given gifts of music and administration and God says, great, I want you to serve me in that gifting and I want you to make disciples. But the, con the, the command to make disciples is not just for me. It's not just for uh, you. It's for us all, both as individuals and as a community. It's what God calls us to. It's what he invites us into. And it's what he walks with us to accomplish by his grace. Just ask you this question. Are you following Jesus today? Right? Disciple is, is a big word. It's a big Bible word. It basically means this. Are you following Jesus today? Are you walking with him or are you trying to walk and work for him? There's a big difference between the two. God wants to walk with you. He wants to have a vibrant relationship with you. Uh, we had someone come into our, our elder meeting this last month, and they're a counselor in the area. And one of the things that they, that they said really hit me. They said, I want my goal to model what it means to love and to follow Jesus because that's my job, to love and follow Jesus. And as I work with a client, she said, I want them to learn that that's their job too, to love and to follow Jesus. And the natural overflow of that kind of life is saying, God, how, how, is, how do I, as a follower of Jesus, help make followers of Jesus? <laughs> Where are you at in your life? Is, is there something that stands between you and God this morning? Is, is there something that you have said, I would follow Jesus, but I kind of want to do this instead? Everything God calls us to do is only possible with him. God's going to call you friends. And God's going to call me to do things way beyond our ability. 
way beyond our power. And that is the fun of fun, maybe not the right word, but that, that is the joy of walking with God because you begin to see these faith steps turn into, wow, God, you did that. Who has God placed in your life this day, this week, that he wants you to model following Jesus too and to engage with the gospel and the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father and our King, we, um, I'm reminded today, again, God, how much I and we need you. God, our, our worth is not in things that we own, things that we do. It's, it's not in all the things that we might look at as success from a world perspective. Our worth is found in Christ and in Christ alone. I thank you for that, God, because without that, oh my goodness, even on our best days, we would fall short of who you are. God, I, I pray for my friends here this morning. God, you have, you have designed them uniquely and intentionally. You have, you have called them to follow you. And some of them, God, today are struggling with this call. And I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to them with such great power, and with such great love, and with such great grace that they would sense this amazing ability that we have to walk with the King of Kings, the maker of all things. And God, that you care about the details of our lives and you care about the details of the lives of the people around us. God, if, if they're here and they don't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would trust you this morning and learn what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. God, for those of us here who are your followers, who are your disciples, I ask for a deeper conviction and heart and trust to hear your voice and to walk with you in the things you have called us to. God, that, that may look like doing an excellent job at our work and engaging our coworkers with, with, um, with joy and with peace and with love and with the message of Jesus. God, that may look like walking home right now and um, making some things right with family members. Um, God, that, that may mean um, deciding to put aside all the distractions of our world today so that we can hear your voice and so that we can live to please you and you alone. Whatever it is for each person here, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would reveal to us that area of our life where we're just holding on and not trusting that you are sufficient for everything. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that we can do all things. And by all things, you mean everything you have called us to do through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you for that encouragement from your word this morning. Thank you for a story of Peter who's willing 
to live boldly and to trust your word and your will. We bless you and pray this in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.